Welcome to the Business That Matters Spotlight. I'm Warren Coughlin, founder of this podcast and business coach to ethical entrepreneurs who want to build a business that matters. In short, I help you end chaos and gain control over your business so that you predictably and reliably achieve the profits, the lifestyle, and the impact you strive for through a team you can trust without the stress and frustration. When you experience this, you're more confidently able to make the world or just your corner of it a bit of a better place. At The Spotlight, we believe that every entrepreneur has a unique message that can positively impact the world and inspire others to do the same. Stick around to the end of the show. We'll reveal how you can be our next guest. Let's get started. Welcome to the Business of Matters Spotlight. This should be a pretty interesting conversation today for the normal person when thinking of a values-driven business or a purpose-driven entrepreneur. Uh, a firm that deals with financial markets and capital markets isn't necessarily the first kind of business that comes to mind. However, in my experience, I've actually known a number of folks, VCs, et cetera, who play in that space who are highly ethics and values driven. And today's guest is one of those entrepreneurs. Howard Getson is the president and CEO of Capital Logics based in Texas. He's also a former board member of EO or Entrepreneurs Organization, a group I'm very fond of. I've actually been a sponsor of two of their chapters. Uh, so I'm looking forward to a fairly provocative conversation. Howard, welcome to the spotlight. Hi, it's uh, it's great to be here. Nice to have you. So for some folks playing in the capital markets and AI, I know you you play in both of those things as some kind of combination of dark arts. In simple arts, in simple terms, can you tell me what Capital Logic actually Capital Logics does and and who you do it for? We do have a hedge fund, but Capital Logics is the technology company. Um, so uh, I, I don't self-identify as a fund manager, uh, nor a lawyer. So like you, I used to, <laughs> used to be a lawyer, and uh, I'm glad that that's something that I used to do rather than do now. Amen um, to that. <laughs> yeah. But, but um, we have a really unique technology that helps uh, people or companies amplify intelligence. And for us, that's the concept of making better decisions, uh, taking smarter actions, and continually improving performance. And it's it's really a 25-year North Star compass heading that I believe uh, is, is going to define a lot of businesses as AI becomes bigger um, and, and a bigger catalyst that kind of terraforms our world and, and the way we do business, the technology is one thing, but how you use it to make decisions, take actions, and figure out what you're trying to measure or improve is, is really more important. And a lot of that's something that humans have to do. So Capital Logics is the company that I have that, that builds that platform. And then we do have a fund that's run based on that technology. And, and frankly, kind of interestingly, Unlike almost any other fund, it's 100% autonomous AI. So we allow the AI to choose the markets we trade, the techniques we use, the, the risk levels, what we buy, what we sell, how we buy, how we sell, the allocation. Absolutely everything is now done by AI. And it's work. The people you're working with, do they have any anxiety about that because AI is relatively new? Do they start to feel, oh, man, my, my financials are, are in the hands of some mysterious online robot? Well, so I, I think the, the clients who ultimately 
decide to put money in a fund like that are people that wanted to disassociate or minimize the fear, the greed, the discretionary mistakes that the meat suits bring to decision making, right? Right. I mean, um, you, you never have to worry about an AI having a fight with its partner or drinking too much or sleeping late or having a bad day or revenge trading. Um, it, 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 it's really kind of cool. When I was a young entrepreneur, I followed people like Vern Harnish, you know, and part of that methodology was figuring out uh, what were your big, hairy, audacious goals and what are your three rocks and how do you know you're making progress? But really, if you want to simplify, it was about making best practice, common practice. And and the cool thing about a technology-based business is if you really allow the technology to do what you tell it to do, you've made best practice, not only common practice, practice. Um, it's, it's, it's how you do business. But in my company, we have a, a piece of artwork in a conference room. Um, and the artwork basically says, AI is cool, but artificial stupidity is scary. <laughs> nice. And, and, and so making mistakes at light speed is, is very scary. Um, but if you do it right, um, it's about constant, never-ending improvement. And it is stressful, but it's just a different kind of stress. Yeah, that's funny in my business. Uh, sometimes people say to someone like me, are you a motivational speaker? And I go, no, 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 no. I, I don't motivate people. If you motivate people to do who don't know what they're doing, you just get them to do stupid things faster. Well, it's not a useful exercise. Actually, the interesting thing is, is uh, your business and mine are probably a lot more similar than you'd expect because you're playing bumper pool where your ideas have to be implemented by somebody else. And even if it's a good idea, if it's not implemented well, it didn't have the right impact. And so somebody could say, well, uh, does that mean your business has no stress because you don't actually have to perform? And the thing is, is you have a different set of duties to perform. And one is to inspire and motivate somebody to actually take action that they believe is right. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it's always a good time to take right action. Exactly. Yeah. And with it, I, I love the philosophy you have on Capital Logic that things work until they don't. Oh. That, that sounds like a simple enough principle, but I imagine we've both seen that honored more in the breach from the observance. How, how did you come to that in your space? And how does it how does that actually show up in your business? So um, uh, let me take you back many, many, many years. Um I used to be a technology entrepreneur. I was the CEO of an AI company starting in 91. And I ran it from 91 all the way to 2000 and I sold it. AI in 91, that was that was ahead of the curve. Yeah, you almost couldn't spell AI back then. Um, <laughs> but, um, but it wasn't AI like this, right? I mean, uh, a lot of it was quantitative techniques, intelligent agents, rule-based or time-based actions, um, and, and we used it for a very specific purpose. And, um, but through the mid to late nineties, I, 
I was given speeches at things like Comdex and Macworld and, you know, all over the country. And what I noticed, like everybody, was that the internet was getting big. And so I started to invest in some of these internet companies. Um, and kind of my strategy was, as I would go to a conference, I would look for a company where the CEO used to be like me giving a speech at a conference. And then all of a sudden you would see that he had an entourage. And then soon uh, they didn't have a single booth. They had a multiple booth where they had partners in the booth. And then you would see them where the CEO actually had a suite off the show floor. And even though they had partners in their booth, they were shuttling people to the CEO in the other room. And you got a real sense by being at conferences like this, which companies were gaining traction, which ones had VCs waiting for them. And in the heyday of the internet, um, it was a really good thing to invest in the companies with buzz. And a couple really big wins covered a lot of sins, right? I mean, so a, a couple of those big wins made it where you didn't notice how many really dumb decisions you made. Right. And, and the same is kind of sort of true in trading. So I sold that company in 2000. It was a pretty decent exit. And I started this company originally as a family office. Like I thought it was going to be a way to manage my money and my investments. I thought that I would be an angel a little bit. You know, I'd be involved I joined the the local board of EO, and then I joined the the global board of EO. Um, I started going all over the world dealing with entrepreneurs, and I realized there was a lot of stuff to invest in. But I also recognized that I was enjoying trading, and I wanted to become masterful. Um, and one of the first things that I realized in becoming masterful at trading was you you really had to figure out how to minimize or eliminate fear, greed, and discretionary mistakes because it, it's the mind killer. It's the thing that really hurts the portfolios. Yeah. Um, and so to make a really long story short, um, we created a, a little manufacturing process, but instead of creating physical products, we were creating digital products, trading systems, um, Things that would scan markets and say, oh, here's an edge or here's the opportunity you're looking for. And I, I really break it into three main areas. Uh, I went from kind of a fundamental trader using discretion and gut instinct to a technical trader that was using technique and metrics. And then a huge shift where that professionalized or industrialized. And it was about doing that at a scope and scale that a human couldn't focus on. Instead of looking at a chart or an opportunity, what would it be like if you could look at every chart and every opportunity? Um, it's almost like boiling the ocean, but, but it's, it's a concept of saying, no technique always works. I'm now tying it back to your question. No technique always works, but there's always a technique that works. And so over time, what I realized is there's really only two kinds of techniques, right? It doesn't matter whether it's uh, developed by a Nobel laureate or 
uh, a machine. It's there are some techniques that are working and filling your cup, and there's other techniques that are draining your cup. And what's right. important is not how you develop the technique or how clever you were when you developed it. It's a meritocracy, and it's about how it works. I remember reading a quote attributed to Bezos, and I don't know if it was really him, but he was saying that in Amazon, his goal was to focus on what didn't change, not all the things that did. And I kind of remember that the concept was most people thought he was a bookstore, but he saw himself as an online marketplace where consumers had a wide variety of choices that they believed were at a fair price that were going to be delivered quickly. And the contextual feedback from other users to say, I liked it or I didn't. So it would make it easier for them to make the choice and transact commerce. And if you think about it, everything about the business changed. They don't just sell books. You know, I remember when they sold books and then records or CDs. And then it became DVDs as well. And then it was small electronics. And then it was, right? But but now you can buy almost virtually anything. The algorithm for how they set dynamic pricing has obviously changed. You know, they don't own their inventory. Other, They're actually the front end and it's lots of other people's micro stores. Um, almost everything has changed. But in my world, I don't want to focus on anything that changes. And as a hedge fund manager, markets change, algorithms change. And so all the stuff that you think is really the hedge fund, I think is noise. If you were to focus on it, you'd be a bobblehead constantly in flux. And so rather than use AI to try to predict something random, wouldn't it be cool if you used it to measure and really understand the things that stay the same. One of the things that stays the same is the meritocracy of how you know when something's working. In anybody who's listening to this, there are some really key metrics in their business that are evidences of success. There's other things that would be proof that you're moving off track. And getting better attuned to which one of those matter is a really good way to figure out what strategy is accomplishing what you want. And rather than saying, this is my strategy, it's really about switching into the right strategy. It's a strategy of strategies. It's almost mindfulness. It's it's being able yeah. to watch all the different perspectives and say, this is the role that would get the best result. This is the perspective that creates the insight. This is the strategy that's filling the cup rather than having a fixed attachment that says, this is how I do things. And I, I love the Amazon analogy, you know, the way you've defined your business. I wonder if we can just unpack that a little bit. Uh, there's a lot of that, how you identify what business you're in. Like you said earlier, you're not a hedge fund business. You're a, you're an AI firm. Amazon didn't do that. I've seen it in the same kind of challenge, both large and small, right? Like, Oil companies defining themselves as oil companies instead of energy companies are precluding themselves from lots of new opportunities. Kodak, you know, defined themselves sort of as a chemical photographic company. And even though they invented the digital camera, got beat out of that whole industry because they didn't understand that's where they play. 
that you talk a little bit about that about how you def, how so, you define what industry you play in so i i created a framework that i use internally and um i'll i'll teach it to your audience at least superficially um but that concept of what doesn't change is really important because if you think about your business in terms of a 25-year chunk that won't change, how can you chunk high enough that you won't be wrong even as you pivot this way or that way, but you're moving in the right direction towards your goal? And you said, I'm an AI company, and I wanted to stop and interrupt you because okay. um, I... I believe that I'm an amplified intelligence company or, or an, a capability amplifier. And the, the truth is, some of that's about exponential thinking. Some of that's about exponential technology. And some of that is about being agile enough to switch to what's working while it's working, where it's working all the time. Um. And so defining our company in terms of amplified intelligence, and in my brain, we're a platform company that's bringing amplified intelligence to other businesses. Let, let me explain. Um, it starts with a capability. Um, Tesla didn't just become Tesla. Um, the 777 plane uh, didn't just appear magically at an American airline gate, something was the first step. There's a beginning, a middle, and an end to almost anything. And if you go back to the beginning, um, did the 777 or a Tesla exist uh, when the first customer bought it or when it passed its first safety test or when a designer successfully rendered it in CAD and showed it to the CEO? Or was it when the CEO approved the budget for it? Or like, like there, you have to go back, but I believe that it starts with a capability. And it's because since the beginning of time, humans have been confronted with radical new technologies, fire, the wheel. Um, but human nature hasn't changed much in millennia. And so even though technology is always going to change, human nature hasn't. Going back to that same concept. So instead of focusing on the technology, which is always going to change, the best way to predict the future is to predict what human nature is going to desire. Okay. Right. So a capability is something that I can look at and the first thing I'm going to say is, so what? Who cares? Does it help me do what I already do better? And if not, so what? Who cares? This has been, since the beginning of time, an evolutionary strategy that goes back to that lizard portion of your brain that's trying to keep you alive that says, if it doesn't, if it's not important to my survival, I should ignore it because I need to survive. So a capability has to help you do something more efficiently, more effectively, or with more certainty. Meaning you want to do more with less effort in less time or with a greater likelihood of success, okay? If it doesn't help you do that, you can't focus. But if you do, 
actually get to the point where that capability helps you, you instantly get greedy. And instead of that capability satisfying your desire, it actually stokes a new one. The way you know it's an important capability is it makes you want more. Okay. And I think of a capability a lot like a Lego or a widget. It's, a, it's an individual little thing. And if you, if you say, I have this capability, but what if I add this? What if I do that? You're, you're thinking, you're prototyping what comes next. So step two is capability to prototype. And it's a massive scale. This is now where you and your team are trying to radically improve the benefit that you're getting from a simple capability. But the way I look at it is in the 80-20 rule, it's the 20% that gets 80% of the benefit. It's, it's the lowest of the low-hanging fruit. And if you satisfy it, what you're really saying isn't, does it help me do what I already do better? It's what could I do or what should I do? And and it means that you actually have to stop doing some of what you used to do to make room for this new, better thing. But it's people you know accomplishing something that you know. Step three is when it becomes a product. And this is, this is a radical difference in scale. This is where people you don't know try to accomplish something you do know. And it's where you add enough capabilities where the evidence of success is clear, but it creates an audience and a much bigger set of revenue because it's not only the money that you can make from it, but it's money that you make by selling that product, service, or offering to other people. And then the next stage is where it becomes a platform. And this is where people you don't know use that capability to do things you never anticipated. And the real key here isn't to look just at your company. It's to look at the industry you're playing in and to figure out what capabilities are inevitable. What's gonna happen? That as soon as your industry has this capability, you know that you're going to see prototypes for a new type of product. What product is going to create a desire that whole new businesses are launched on that tangent or new vector that are going to take it in a new space? So for me in a hedge fund, um, it was easy for me to see that in 2003, markets went electronic, okay? So it used to be people standing in pits, waving their arms, trading right. human yeah. versus human. Um, in 2003 is the year those markets went electronic. And all of a sudden, professionals had a whole bunch more data. But it really took a lot longer than you would guess for markets to really go electronic. We're now at a point where 99% of trades are done by machines. I mean, even if you're a human, you're using machine to trade. In the old days, if you use software to trade, somebody called a human in a pit and they waved their hands. Now the machines are really doing the trading. 70% of trading is algorithmic, but the algorithms are simple. It's almost like a light switch. Uh, I'm buying or I'm selling, right? It's on or it's off. Right. But, but what's new now is 
AI is inevitable. The same way electronic trading was inevitable, AI is now changing how people think, how they act, how they perform. And it's not hard for me to realize that some simple AI will be in the lower level trading system. But it's also really easy to understand AI is going to be involved in the risk management and the allocation. I mean, there's a lot of... And then as I look at it, in order to be good at amplified intelligence, you really have to be good at math and statistics and game theory and behavioral economics. These are things that normal businesses aren't great at. And so for me, the thing that's inevitable is AI is going to be something that's outsourced. You're going to acquire the capability by using software or a service provider the same way in the early days of the internet. If you wanted a website, you hired somebody to build you that site. Now it's gotten to the point where you can buy a WordPress site and just customize it really simply, even if it's my mother. Um, And if you wanted a bigger, better site, then you hire somebody. But really, you don't need a professional for the minimum viable product. You need a professional to stand out and be professional. So for me, what's inevitable is AI is going to start to terraform my industry. And so as I start to understand what's happening, I'm looking at the map of the industry and I'm realizing that people with billions of dollars of assets under management are going to look in the mirror and say, am I the foremost expert in the world at something that's becoming irrelevant? Uh, I've got so much money, I'm afraid it's going to leave. And so there's an old world and a new world. And in the beginning, simply having a map to the new world is important. Later, you actually need to build a path and be a guide to help people get there. But in the early, early stages, just knowing that we're going to Mars is important enough. You don't have to figure out how to do it. You just have to get in your head. It's a possibility. So I think a framework like I just talked about is really useful so that you have a map before you're lost in the woods, thinking about what's going to happen in industry. And then if you understand and you get to a point where you realize something's inevitable, think of it as mother nature. It's kind of like winter, spring, summer, and fall. It's kind of sort of inevitable, just like night and day. If you understand the seasons, you don't plant corn in winter, you wait for spring. If, if you understand the natural path, you leverage Mother Nature rather than fighting it. So once you understand the natural path in your industry, you now run that same analysis and say, based on my own unique abilities, what could I build? What, what new capability would help me prototype something that becomes a product that would take advantage of the influx of people? Go back to the... Uh, gold rush of 1849. If you really knew that everybody was going to end up in Northern California in the late, you know, mid 1800s, instead of you going there to prospect for gold, you could have sold picks and shovels to the miners or built hotels or bars or 
or created a bonded delivery service to take their gold safely to a bank, which, by the way, is how Wells Fargo got started. Right. So let, let, let me ask you two practical pieces out of this for, because the audience of this podcast are largely entrepreneurs, you know, probably you know, from a million to 50 million in revenue. And some of them may be listening to this going, this is fascinating. And, you know, it's, I like that model. However, I'm trying to make payroll every week and I'm working 60 hours a week. And there's, there's two things in what you just said that sort of struck me as I could see an entrepreneur going, hmm. So the first piece on the, on the capability piece, I had a number of clients when COVID hit, we, we actually had that exact conversation that you just described. You know, like you're not, you're not in this business, you're in this business. What is the capability you do and how are you going to pivot within that capability? And one of the pushbacks we got, not just internally, but also from customers, I remember one of the advisors of one of my clients saying, that's great, but when we're trying to sell into this financial institution, this service, we're dealing with a mid-level manager. They don't think about that capability. They've got a checklist that they've got to you know, check off for their boss. And we have to speak about it at a more prosaic level. This is the service we do rather than the capability. And so there's this conflict between how you go to market when you understand you're, you're, you're actually helping solve a bigger problem. But yeah, the client but on the other hand, problem solved. Um, uh, let, me, let me play a different scenario for you. Imagine you're on the Israeli side of the Golan Heights and it's 11 o'clock at night, it's dark, and all of a sudden, somebody says there's been an incursion to sector D6. And there's some grid system, you know, it's, it's almost like a spreadsheet, rows and columns. But it means you know that you've detected activity or some anomaly, anomaly at D6. Do you think all of a sudden somebody says, gee, what are we going to do? Or do you think that they've got a whole series or a checklist that says if it was a B1 incursion, we'll do this, but at D6, we'll do that. Think of it as scenario planning. Right. If you're on an airplane and in mid-flight, um, one engine goes out, does the pilot go, let's brainstorm or is there a checklist? Right. Yeah. So the whole concept here is in order to be a good entrepreneur or get from 1 million to 5 million or 5 million to 20 million, um, at first you have to bring order to chaos. So you have to have some basic sense of this is my business and this is what I want to do. But wisdom comes from finer distinctions. And a lot of time distinctions come from experience, which often comes from mistakes. A lot of times it's from brainstorming. The whole concept is you do this ahead of time, um, not, not when it's too late. And so if you do it right, you can say, I can think of 15 capabilities that we could build. Um, then you look at those capabilities almost like Legos and you say, which ones would be most valuable versus how hard? So you can build a four box model with ease versus value, right? And you want the thing that's easy and valuable. Or 
um, cost versus effort, or so many different ways you can start to look at the capabilities until you say, really, of the 15 capabilities I could have built, these are the three or four that look like they'll be strategic and unique. They'll, they'll help me be efficient, effective, or certain, but they're also easily stackable so I can prototype this, that, or the other. The thing is, it's not about what you think. It's about what the market wants. So as you're doing this, you, you have to see not what you want to build, but what people want to buy. Right. And so part of this right. is you actually have conversations with some of those stakeholders. And the way I look at it is some things give you energy and some, some things don't. Some things make people sit up and take notice and others kind of make them will. And what you're looking for is not only where you have a superior skill, but something that creates energy, not only for you, but in the people you're talking to. You're talking to. Why build something if it makes them weak and want to get right. lazy headed and look somewhere else? You want to you build something that makes people say, and what else could you do? What about this? What about that? Remember, the capability isn't something that when you give it to them, it satisfies them. It actually makes them hungry for more. So it's important to have these conversations with people early so that you can figure out where to focus your time, energy, money, resources, because these are the building blocks for what comes next. Now, again, at this point, I, I call it practical. And I know I, I have a suspicion what the answer will be because it'll probably be similar to what I say. But again, the, the, the objection one hears to some of this. Like, so I, I'm a company and I manufacture chocolate and you know retail chocolate. I'm working 18 hours a day. Um, I don't have time to sit and think through all the capabilities and prototyping and product because I'm just trying to, I'm going to negotiate with my supplier to make sure that I get the right amount of chocolate in the next month. I wouldn't invest in that company. Um, but, um, but here's what I would say. In writing, there's a concept called the character diamond. And what it basically talks about is the hero's greatest strength is often their Achilles heel because they rely on it too much. In business, it's almost the same thing. And you've heard the story probably a different way. It goes something like this. Whatever you're doing now is the recipe for getting here. But if you want to get there, you have to do something different. Right. But you can't figure out where there is unless you figure out where you really want to go. And if you don't have time to figure out where you really want to go, chances are you're going to stay where you are. But even a bigger chance is wherever you are, is falling further and further behind because standing still is moving backwards because the rest of the world is moving forwards. Right. Correct. Um, so part of what I will tell you is even if you don't think it's time to think about amplified intelligence or AI, um, let's say you say I'm a brick and mortar company and I don't need to do that. Well, when your customer starts to do it to figure out how to find customers cheaper or how to reduce the cost of goods sold or to dramatically increase their distribution network or the number of markets they go to, you're going to find yourself at a competitive disadvantage. In a sense, 
Standing still is moving backwards. Yes, always. Um, it makes sense to recognize the rocket fuel that's about to get put into your industry. And AI is going to terraform the planet the way electricity did or the way the internet did. Um, when, when somebody invented electricity, right? And it wasn't Edison and it wasn't Tesla. Somebody invented the capability before that. that that's where it became popularized. Do you think they thought about electric cars? I mean, on one hand, they were happy they found a light bulb, but could they have thought about how it was going to turn Alaska into a place people vacationed or, or how it would change manufacturing? I mean, those are things that you don't think about at the beginning. When the internet got big, did you think, oh, for certain, CompUSA is going to go out of business? No, you'd think CompUSA is going to get bigger. Right. You, and you wouldn't think, and here's how it's going to impact movie theaters or cable TV. It, the, you just don't think about that stuff in the beginning. AI is going to terraform the planet and business kind of sort of like electricity or the internet or fire. Um, and you're going to figure it out sooner or later. I hope it's not later. Because if you figure out sooner, you can take advantage of Mother Nature rather than fight it. Yep. I know we're even really generous with your time. I wanted to cut. It was in your core values for your business. You talk about veritas and fidelitas, which if my limited Latin is, is accurate, is like trustworthiness or honesty and loyalty or fidelity. And within that, you say you strive to do good. And so in my business, I use the term building a business that matters. You use the term creating wealth that matters. So what's the what's the positive difference in the world you want to make with the business? And how do, how do those values actually influence the way you do that? So first off, um, Fidelitas and, and Veritas uh, were marketing words that uh, they're true, but that's not our real values. We, our, our values are things like... Um, in our real company, like in, in terms of the ones that that matter every day. Um, getting comfortable being uncomfortable. And let me give you an example. Anything you really want is outside your capability. Otherwise, you wouldn't want it. You'd have it. And so in a sense, if, if you're not comfortable thinking about things you don't know how to do or, or figuring out how to increase the efficiency, effectiveness, or certainty, then you can't get there because comfort actually leads to decay. So getting comfortable being uncomfortable is actually what it takes to grow. If you think about exercise, you have to break things down and struggle a little bit in order to create new capabilities. Another is finding a way. Um, and it's because if you don't know the way, you either have to find it or create it. Um, the ones you're talking about are also values, but it's a different kind of value. Th this concept of uh, creating wealth that matters, um, it was really a concept that stemmed from experience in the past that said, there are people I like doing business with and make me feel good about who I am and doing business with them. And there's people that make me feel dirty or bad. And in a sense, I wasn't at a certain level of success. You're not willing to trade 
your honor or your integrity for dollars. And so you want to do business with people who make you more of who you want rather than less. The same is true for the people in the company. And so uh, I came up with a somewhat profane, no asshole filter. And the concept of wealth that matters was in order for somebody to invest in our company, I had a handshake agreement that said, when you're playing with house money, meaning as you're starting to make money on money, 10% has to go to a good cause. It doesn't have to go through me, but once a year, all our partners get together and we talk about the good causes. Um, And I want people to want to do well, but I also want them to want to do good. And I, I believe it's a really important anchoring principle. If I say to somebody, you know, we have this filter and you have to agree to 10% goes to a good cause. Some people might say, you can't tell me how to invest my money. I'm not going to say you're an asshole and you can't invest, but in a sense, they've self-selected and how they do that one thing tells me so much about how they're going to do so many other things. Can't you expect that somebody who said that's going to be more litigious Can't you expect somebody like that is going to have a mindset that's more prone to blame rather than forgiveness? Mindsets are so powerful. Is it somebody who's looking um, for an excuse or for a way to win? Is it somebody who there are so many different mindsets like this? But but one is based on generosity, scarcity or abundance. Are they coming from scarcity or abundance? And so, um, on the other hand, if I tell somebody about this filter and say 10% of your winnings should go to a good cause, and we're going to have a meeting once a year where the partners talk about that, if somebody says, oh my God, that's great, um, I sponsor an XPRIZE in learning, or, um, oh, that's great. Uh, I'm the chairman of an AI ethics board and, and also on a bioethics ethics board. Is that like, I love people like that. And not only do I end up getting energy, but I talk about the people they know, the things they're interested in, and it ends up creating more opportunities, more deal flow, uh, an easier sense of referring capabilities or resources within the group, and it creates more. And so uh, an abundance mindset is a catalyst to more and better. But people who are always looking to weaponize or, or it's a zero-sum game, so I want to use this so you can't have it, um, I don't enjoy being near that. And I believe they're not, they're not fun to be around. Commerce. Yeah. So for me, um, those kind of values are incredibly important. Uh, most of the people who work for me have worked for me, you know, five, seven, 10 years. And it's because it's a great place to work because we, we have the right kind of values that foster independence and people have the freedom to work on things that are important to them and, and to spend enough time and effort. So they're proud of what they create. And I find that if you do that, it's about being long-term greedy, not short-term greedy. Right. 
Yeah. And the value having people around who share the values make that easier to do. Yeah. And it's really easy to tell when you don't have that. Yes. Yes. So last question, what are you struggling with? Like in your business, if anything, all entrepreneurs face some challenges. You're obviously playing on the front end of some interesting developments. What, what, what keeps you up at night or, or maybe that's not the right word, but what no, do you know? I've struggled about? with the same thing since the beginning of my career is I'm a pioneer and it means I have a lot of arrows in our back. I love being early. Um, and, and there's costs and benefits. Um, there's a, an old joke that says, I see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I tend to build more tunnel. Sometimes it's good to see the light and not build tunnel. Um, it's actually why I've changed the focus of the company to amplified intelligence rather than AI, because I don't want it to be about technology. Technology is always changing, right? I want it to be about something that doesn't change making better decisions, taking smarter actions, continuing to improve performance. At a certain point, your business becomes um, self-operating, right? You've got cash flow confidence that this part of your business just does what it does. That's never the part of the business that I'm interested in. It's almost as if I made a joke when I was an entrepreneur, um, early in my career, you know, I thought I retired and I joined EO, but EO is almost like a 12 step group where people say, hi, my name is Howard. I have to start a company. Well, I always am looking for the coolest new technology and how to misuse that technology for something <laughs> that nobody intended it for. That's actually how I came up with the model of capability, prototype, product, and platform, because Platform is where people use the capability for things that it was never intended. And it's how it's like the internet now has built so many other businesses or industries or in Tesla, where the battery is going to be more valuable than the car company or in SpaceX, the Starlink communication is going to be the AT&T of the universe. It's going to be bigger than the rocket ship. Um, right. It, it's it's all about how the world is fractal and continues to evolve. So I guess for me, um, the thing I struggle with is I have to get away from the bright and shiny and, and realize that, you know, I'm in my mid to late 50s. Um, at a certain point, I'm going to be less involved in day-to-day -day business and I'm going to spend more and more time doing what I love. Right now, I would argue I already do that, um, but I just found out I'm going to be a grandfather. Like, oh, congratulations. Yeah, um, and, and I've got to make more time for simply being who I am rather than playing the role that I play. Um, I'm, I'm extraordinarily lucky that I married an entrepreneur. Uh, my wife uh, was a very successful entrepreneur. She was the president of the Indonesian chapter of EO. Um, and we have a great life and, and we understand this struggle together and it, it's a great partnership. But on the other hand, um, as AI becomes more and more capable and my team becomes more capable, I want to spend more time 
focusing on things that are one step less business related. I want to get to the point where I spend 20% of my week focused on business and 80% not. And right now it would be hard for me to say that less than 80 is spent on business. Right. Yeah. Sure. There's an old saying, right? It says you succeed not for what you get, but for who you become. Yeah. And the, the truth is, um, I love what I do and it doesn't feel like work. So on one hand, I don't really feel like I work 80% of my time, but if you were my mother or my sister uh, or somebody looking from the outside, it would be, Hey, that can't be functional. I said, well, it can. Um, if you enjoy it. Yeah. But, but my sense is there's something beyond, right. And I have to get comfortable being uncomfortable about this to say, at what point do you turn the reins over not only to AI, but to the next generation of leadership and realize that, that you're a figurehead rather than an operator. And, and I'm for the most part, not an operator. I, I, uh, I focus on vision casting and leadership and, uh, relationship management, even within the company, uh, rather than day-to-day stuff. But still, um, there's there's a big difference between what I do and my aspirational sense of what I could be doing. Right. Listen, you've been really generous with your time. I've totally enjoyed the conversation. I just want to reiterate that the framework of capability, prototype, product to platform, I think that's a brilliant way yeah. to think about you know the what? business. Um, for your audience... Um, if, if they simply text the word, um, genius to nine, seven, two, nine, nine, two, 1100, I'll send them, um, a PDF that talks all about that framework. Um, but I'll also, uh, add them to our mailing list. I send out a curated set of links, uh, every week. Uh, we never market anything. It's just uh, best links about technology and business. Um, uh, people love it. Anyway, it's text the word genius to 972-992-1100. And uh, you'll get uh, a worksheet on that uh, exponential thinking, how thoughts become things, capability, product, I'm sorry, capability, prototype, product, and platform, uh, as well as the weekly links. And I think they'll really like it. Thank you very much. That's super generous of you. I'm sure I encourage everyone to take advantage of it. And thanks so much for your time. I really enjoyed it. And good luck as as, uh, your business continues to evolve and and in grandparenthood. Uh, Thank you. Hi, it's Warren Coughlin here. Thank you so much for listening to the Business That Matters Spotlight. If you're a successful values-driven entrepreneur who makes a difference while making a profit and you'd like to be on this program, please visit warrencoglin.com slash podcast slash apply. That's warren, C-O-U-G-H-L-I-N.com slash podcast slash apply. If you got something out of this interview, would you do us a favor and share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag business that matters spotlight. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We're regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. 
Want to know more? Go to our website, warrencoglin.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, facebook.com slash a business that matters, and Instagram at warren.coglin. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.